how does your role fit into the bigger picture of what the client wants to achieve? And I don't think you'll ever achieve that sensitivity and that acumen without you having actually been in the shoes of someone who's been in the tech sector or whatever sector you may be interested in or being in a business development position. I feel like you've really got to have that experience to understand how to be an effective commercial lawyer. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast Series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Stephanie and I'm an LLB student at Birkbeck, University of London. Today I'm joined by Tilly Chow, a trainee solicitor at Ashurst and co-founder of Strive, an innovative soon-to-be charity that promotes equality and diversity among the legal industry. Just to give the listeners a bit of background on how we met, last September I attended my university's law fair and Tilly was there with Strive many of the stands that were offering various schemes just handed me a stack of leaflets and asked me to come back next year because I hadn't even started my first year yet. Tilly on the other hand gave me some really helpful advice and amazing tips on solving problem questions which came in great use during my end of year exams a few weeks ago. Thanks so much for joining us today Tilly. Thank you very much for having me Steph, I'm really excited to be here. Oh great. Um, So let's get straight into it because I don't want to deprive the listeners from your words of wisdom for any longer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for the the expectation. I'm not sure I can meet it, but we we can try. I'll do my best. You're way too modest. Um, So in terms of successful and unsuccessful applications, what was your experience like when applying for training contracts? So just by way of background, um, I did one round of uh, training contract applications, um, applied to quite a few Magic Circle and Silver Circle um, law firms within uh, London, um, all commercial law. So I would say that I was very, uh, apart from like the general, um, it's a numbers game sort of advice that I could give, which is true, um, I would say that the sweet spot is around eight I wouldn't do any less than six and I wouldn't do any more than ten um apart from that I genuinely do think that luck is a hugely um underestimated factor I really do not think that any of the applications that I made that were unsuccessful versus the applications that were successful necessarily had a lot difference between them obviously as I progressed through the application cycle I got better and I got um, much more skilled at crafting a good application but once I got to the assessment stage I really do think that luck plays a huge role Um, and I think that I say the same thing to my students as well a lot of them kind of are are very stressed over oh like I I did so well in this one assessment centre and didn't get through and I thought I completely bombed the other one and I actually did get through what was the difference and actually to be honest with you I think that it's really about the stars aligning. Um, and this is why I say that to, to the students who didn't get through on an assessment centre, even if they feel like they've done very well, or the same logic applies to if they feel like they've written a very good applications, a very good application, but hasn't got through to the second round, it very much is about 
who's interviewing you, who's reading the application, were they in a good mood? So I really do think, apart from the very sort of technical advice that I could give you, which I will elaborate on later on with how to draft a good application and stuff like that, if you feel like you've tried your best, um, a lot of the time it really is just because that wasn't the right firm for you, it just didn't align. Um, And I think that for that reason, people shouldn't be unnecessarily harsh on themselves or blame themselves sometimes for an unsuccessful application. If it hasn't worked out, it's not necessarily your fault or within your control. I completely agree with everything that you have just said. Honestly, that's, um, that's really great to hear. So what do you consider to be a good training uh, contract application that will catch the recruiter's attention? So from my experience um, in Strive and also obviously before that, um, applying for training contracts for myself, I've realized that there were three things that made my application stand out. And given that I'm currently a trainee and I'm in very close contact with my HR team as well, um, it's also interesting to hear that actually they they feel the same things are very important for, for a good application. And I think there are three things which really make your application stand out. The first is structure. The second is making your transferable skills blatant and explicit. And the third is tailoring your answer to the firm. So let me go through each of them in turn. The first is structure. Now, even in the way that I've answered this question, I've been very structured. I've kind of said, this is the conclusion. Um, So I start off with the conclusion and then I go into these are the three points I'm going to talk to you about. And then I say, okay, now I'm going on to my first point. So it's very clear where I'm going. It's very clear where I'm headed. It's very clear which part in the structure I am currently in. So you need to apply that same logic to the applications that you're drafting. Um, So in concrete terms, that means having clear paragraphs and each each paragraph would have a clear message. Um, You don't want to jumble up your message or jumble up two different messages within the same paragraph. If you've got something different to say, you need to start a new paragraph. You also need to signpost your answers very well. So you need to say firstly, secondly, thirdly, um, and you need to make sure that your sentences are not long and clunky. If your sentences, generally my guide is if your sentences are anywhere um, around the 25 word mark, you need to be chopping that up into two different sentences. So going on to my second point, again, this is kind of the structure um, that, that I was talking about. But the second point is about making your transferable skills blatant and explicit. So a lot of students come onto the Strive programs with really lovely experiences, really cool experiences, but they just kind of say it and they just kind of say, oh, like I've done this, I've done this, but really to a recruiter, that's not enough. Um, the recruiters, as you can probably imagine, go through thousands and thousands and thousands of applications. They have no time to sit with your experiences and try to compute and try to figure out what you're really trying to say in terms of the skills that you have gained. So rather than telling me, I was a paralegal on the steel and I read 200 documents. That's quite a bland way of saying, of presenting your experience. Rather than doing that, I think you should say that, but also say, from this, I learned X, Y, and Z. And this skill is important to X, Y, Z firm because this, um, which kind of really draws out the relevant parts of your experience for the graduate recruitment so that they don't have to do so much of the legwork. As a candidate, you are the person responsible of pulling out all of those pertinent elements within your experiences to present on a silver platter, as it were, for for whoever is reading your application. The person who's reading your application shouldn't have to 
do any of the thinking for you. So turning to the third thing then, tailoring your answer to the firm. I hear a lot of students or I see a lot of students writing paragraphs upon paragraphs of very flowery, beautiful marketing messages for the firm. So let's say XYZ firm is a market leading, cutting edge, innovative, insert more adjectives, whatever firm, right? And that is something that you will see on that firm's marketing website. That's great for their marketing team. That's not great for you as a candidate. If, and this is what I call the irreplaceable rule, if you say XYZ firm is innovative and forward thinking, if you can put in ABC firm, which is another firm, if you can substitute in another firm's name into your original sentence and it still makes sense, you're doing something wrong. So if it sounds like your answer is just stringing a bunch of very buzzwordy things together or very buzzwordy adjectives together, um, if it sounds like it's just rolled out of a law firm brochure, then you're doing something wrong. What you do need to do, though, is to maybe base your answer around a deal that the firm's done. So rather than just saying, oh, the firm's innovative, say, well, I read up on this deal where the projects team of ABC firm has done. Um, This deal says uh, three things about the firm that really resonate with me. Firstly, it's innovative. Secondly, it does cutting edge work. Thirdly, whatever. If you try to well, if you try to put another firm's name within the deal, that wouldn't make sense because the the deal hasn't been done by that other firm, um, and this will really impress the firm because the firms understand that they all kind of blend into one. They're all quite similar to each other, and if you've kind of done the extra step of trying to really research, not just research their deals, but think about how that deal really makes the firm unique that's very impressive to graduate recruitment. Um, And another point to add on to that, I appreciate that especially in this lockdown situation, it's not always possible, but if you can reach out to to people who are lawyers within that firm and try to show grad rec that you've at least tried to really get to know the people within the firm, that is something that would be really interesting as well to grad rec. Um, In normal times, I would expect um, students to go to networking events to meet these people and actually, with their consent, of course, name drop them um, into their applications and even quote them to say, you know, XYZ firm uh, or Adam from XYZ firm told me that XYZ firm is innovative, something like that to really tailor your answer to the firm. Sorry, that's quite a long answer, but hopefully that was helpful. That was incredible advice, honestly. So good. Uh, When you were talking about the structure, it kind of took me back to that time that we met at the the law fair where you were telling me how to structure my problem question. And that was something that I took away and was able to apply throughout my whole uh, first year of university. I could apply it to my essay writing, obviously my problem questions. And, you know, I'm I'm still doing it now. I even started doing it in my day job. So that Mm -hmm. is something which I think that everybody, um, everybody should really learn how to do. Yeah, I think that with structure, it kind of ties into the second point as well. So if you've got something that's really structured tightly, where you almost can't even take away one word without it not making sense, that's when you know that it's it's good. Um, and with the structure point as well, if I were to give you 
a, a, a you know a hemorrhage of information just all of my experiences everything to do with me and ask you to unpick it you as graduate recruitment you're not going to be interested the legwork should be on me i should be doing all of that unpicking i should be doing all of that structuring and presenting all of that information in a very nice neat package for you um so it's just about recognizing that the onus is on you as the candidate to unpick all of those things to structure all of those things in a nice little little gift box um for the for the graduate recruitment team to to read very easily and without having to expend much brain power absolutely um when you were talking about tailoring uh, your application to the firm as well and talking about you know, researching the cases and really make it apply to that particular case. I thought that that was really interesting because I have heard um, so much about people saying, you know, you really have to do research with the firm. And it sounds like an obvious thing to do. But then when I was thinking about it one day, I thought to myself, you know, what does what does actually researching the firm mean? What What research needs to be carried out? What is too much? Are you meant to be going through their whole website and knowing exactly what everybody in that firm does and you know what what does it mean so it's good to know what exactly you should be researching and how you should be applying it so that was um that was really great to to know absolutely um so the next question that we have is what preparation do you recommend undertaking whilst waiting for a training contract to begin so um, with this question, I'm assuming that you mean that you've already got the TC offer and you're just waiting for it to start. Yes. Yeah. Great. So um, I would actually I don't know whether I'm going against the grain here, but I would definitely advise people to do something outside of law. I think that if you've already got a TC offer, you've got no one to impress. Your firm's already made you sign the contract um, and you're going to spend your whole career ahead of you doing law. So there's not much point, I think, um, unless there are other factors coming in and you, you feel you feel drawn particularly to paralegaling or some other law related um, job. I don't think there's much point in, in doing that. Rather, I think um, what I did certainly was um, to do something that had nothing to do with law. Um, for two years since I got my training contract, I worked as a brand manager, so marketing, um, in a tech consultancy, so a tech recruitment consultancy. So I was in kind of a cross-section between marketing, business development, graphic design, and also tech. So that was a really interesting experience for me. Um, and there are loads of transferable skills that I can name, which I will not bore you with, um, that I learned from that experience as well, which actually helped me with my training contract. Um, and even aside from the whole law thing as well, like just having a, a broader understanding of how other industries work, how you know tech works, how business development generally works. You know, as a lawyer, you're not you're not someone who is the core of the client's focus. The client is going to be someone who is in a sector, for example, tech. They're going to be someone who's more focused on business development rather than your legal disputes or your legal issues. They ideally don't want to talk to the lawyer if they if they could help it. So you need to really understand your place as a trainee, as a lawyer. You know, 
um, how, how does your role fit into the bigger picture of what the client wants to achieve? And I don't think you'll ever achieve that sensitivity and that acumen without you having actually been in the shoes of someone who's been in the tech sector or whatever sector you may be interested in or being in a business development position. I feel like you've really got to have that experience to understand how to be an effective commercial lawyer. That's so good to know. Mm-hmm. So it's almost been a year since you started your training contract. What has the year been like for you? So it's looked um, pretty weird, actually, because of COVID and because of the lockdown situation. But in general, I'm currently in my second seat. Um, I'm halfway through my second seat. So my first seat was in real estate and my second seat was in markets. Um And I think that, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more as to how they differ and sort of what skills I took away from each of them. But in general, I think it's really important to know that when when I was applying for Ashurst or, you know, any other law firm, it was very easy for me to say Ashurst is this, Ashurst is this, just as if they were just a homogenous, completely uniform culture across the world across all of their offices across all of their departments but once I've started my training contract especially in my second seat it became very apparent to me that there are so many differences between the different teams so right now I'm working a very big team I was working a very small team in my previous seats the people are completely different they take very different attitudes to their work some may be more stringent some may be more relaxed Um, and I think the the magic the trick is not to kind of guess what it's going to be like or try to prepare yourself for every eventuality i think the trick is to be able to expect the unexpected to be able to work with all sorts of people and it's not about kind of working with x lawyer a certain lawyer getting used to his style Um, and doing it that way forever. Um, It's more about knowing that there are many different lawyers with many different approaches out there and being able to work with all of them at the same time. Right, that makes sense. So, you know, a good uh, trait to have would be be open-minded and be ready to be adaptable, I suppose. Yes. Um, So, as you said, we're um, experiencing COVID-19 we're now in June 2020, um, and many have many people have been working from home since the middle of March. Mm-hmm. What has it been like for you completing your uh, training contract whilst working from home? And what advice could you give to other people in this situation? It's been really weird. Um, so I remember the last day I was in the office was my first day in my second seat. So I finished my first seat um, and then I had one day in the office in my second seat and met my supervisor and like a couple of other people in the team, but not that many at all. Um, And just that was it. And I've now been working, I now have a very close working relationship with people that I've never met um, because some of them didn't even turn up that one day that I was in the first day that I was in the office. So it's very strange, but it works. For some reason, I still have a strong bond with these people. And um, I feel that once I do meet them in person in the office, I don't feel like it's gonna, there's going to be really a barrier because even though it's all virtual, it's all online, 
I think that good communication skills, for example, being prompt with responding to your emails, being prompt with responding to your uh, Skype messages, being very communicative, making sure that your supervisor always knows what you're up to, making sure that your team always knows what you're up to. You're always participating in the social calls, the team meetings promptly. Um, All of those things creates an impression around you it creates that you're a communicative person it shows that you're present and you're interested um and all of those things are so important it sometimes um it's very important to be seen um just kind of for for the team to know that you're there so if you've got capacity for example just sending an email around to say hey everybody you know I'm still around if you've got anything for me just let me know just kind of like being a little bit more communicative than you would otherwise be if you were in the office and that's sort of my, my first tip, I guess. Um, the, the second tip, so well, yeah, the first tip is really about building interpersonal relationships, um, especially if you're thinking about qualifying into your current seat. I personally think, and from talking to people who are now qualified and also to HR as well, the sense that I get is that you wanting you qualifying into a particular seat is not necessarily just down to how good the work is that you do it's really i think more than anything about how well the team likes you um, which which is fair enough because i mean they're only human and human beings like to work with people they like so you know even through a distance even through the internet you need to create the impression that you're approachable and um you're communicative and you're part of the team So this is why I think that you should be more communicative than you would otherwise be um, if you're in the office. The second tip I would have is that, you know, this is more sort of mental health related. Um, I think with working from home, it's very easy for the lines to be very blurred. Um, When do you go for lunch break? When do you get to leave? When do you get to log off? If you log off, are you obliged to look at your phone? Um, All of those things I think are very important to clarify with whoever your supervisor might be um, at the start of your seat or at the start of you working from home, whenever it may be. Just kind of establishing those, managing those expectations and also knowing, knowing that you're entitled to take a break. Just because you're working from home doesn't mean you're not working. You're entitled to take an hour off during lunch break just being away um, on Skype so that people won't contact you. Um, or you're entitled, if you haven't got much work on, to log off at six and just call it an evening and that, that would be that. So just understand the boundaries for yourself as well I think that's one of the the biggest things that I've had to get to grips with which is um at the beginning of me working from home I felt obliged to have to stay online for you know past when when I when I couldn't have left if I were in the office and actually my supervisor said why are you still here like you so it's it's not sometimes about what your team's expectation is of you sometimes you as a trainee pretty much bottom of the food chain you feel a need to pressurize yourself to have those lines really blurred but actually I think that it's important to get permission from your supervisor for those lines not to be blurred and for yourself to tell to yourself that those lines should not be blurred I think that that's been important for for upkeeping my my mental health in in this time two fantastic points I completely agree with you on both of them I mean I think it's really important during this time to you know be present within the team and really do show um your enthusiasm to to work i think that's really important but i think what's um given that we all know that the legal industry is somewhat of a uh 
a fossil <laughs> in some ways. Uh, we're always the last to adapt to tech changes or sort of innovations. Um, and actually, this work from home initiative, forced work from home initiative, I, I should add, has proven really successful, at least from what I can see, and at least from within my firm. People have been so ready to 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 um, embrace it, and it's worked so well. Um, it's it's really kind of been a bit surprising to be honest well not surprising because obviously lawyers are very kind of adaptable people but I wouldn't have thought that kind of people would have like openly welcomed it so so much as they have um and I feel like this is the new normal is probably stretching it a bit I wouldn't say that um we're all going to start working from home now I don't think that's the case but I do think that this has been a very nice experiment and it has shown that actually lawyers are able to be innovative if they wanted to be um, and I think that that's actually really encouraging to see um, from me from my perspective for example I'm interested in legal tech I'm interested in the more innovative approach um, to diversity generally it, it, within um, the legal industry so it's been really encouraging to see that actually um, when push comes to shove lawyers are very able to adapt to to new new technologies and new circumstances yes i agree i think that something good has come out of a very mm-hmm. very um bad situation and you you are right. i've seen um i've seen a lot of posts on linkedin with partners of law firms saying that they're really um happy with this new style of working and they hope it does carry on yes but just to go back to the second point about uh, you know giving yourself a break I found what works for me personally is using that forest app I don't know if you've heard about it oh yes I think yeah so I, I put on um, 25 minutes or so and I make sure that nothing you know that needs doing at home distracts me and that way I know that you know I've done my hours nine to five and I don't need to, you know, make up after those hours for that 15 minutes I spent putting the washing machine on or doing that kind of stuff. So I think that if you are focused doing work, you shouldn't need to um, work, you know, either sides of your hours. And if you have been dedicated to your um, to your work and you've still needed to work over then maybe allow yourself to do it a little bit but yeah I, I do try and keep to a routine and I think it's important that people do I think just to keep some structure yeah that's such a good tip as we were talking about earlier yeah such a good tip and <laughs> um, so the next question I have is what sort of uh, preparation is required before transferring into the next seat of a training contract? So I'm coming at this question from quite a, well, not biased, but a very specific standpoint. I am at Ashurst. It is one of the biggest firms in London. It's a silver circle law firm, so it's kind of quite... um, it's got. It's known for a good, very structured um, training contract program. So that's the sort of perspective I'm coming from. But I'm also well aware that there are many people who may be interested in, for example, uh, regional law firms or law firms who don't necessarily have a very structured program. I'm aware that some U.S. law firms may not necessarily have a structured program, and that could be that could be a good thing for some people. But um, from my experience, at least, we have a very standardized set of training sessions for the first couple of weeks one to two weeks um, at the beginning of each of our seats so for example if I were going into litigation in my next seat then um, the partners will kind of 
pull out their slides. Um, they, they always use the same slides and the same training materials for each cohort of trainees. Um, but then I'll get all the training that I need um, crash course in litigation at the very beginning of my seat. And then once I move into, let's say, tax, for example, then I'll get another crash course in tax for the next um, for the, for the two weeks. So it's all very standardized um, and it's it's all very well covered. But obviously, there's only so much these sessions can do. Everyone, I believe, learns by doing. And there's only so much you can internalize having those sessions at the beginning. So which is why I believe it's so important to have a supportive team, um, someone who you can feel, OK, I've done those sessions. Yes, I've heard it, but I don't really know how it translates into real life. You need to be at a firm. You need to be in a team that does not make you feel that you can't ask those questions just because they've covered it in the training session does not mean that you're obliged to know it now and forever um it does not mean it should not mean that you're not allowed to ask the same questions that they've covered just because you're not clear on how it translates into real life um so my next question is a little bit wide and i think that you kind of touched on it earlier when you said that the uh, previous seat you were in before was um, not that big, the team wasn't that big, but how have the different seats you have experienced compared with one another? So um, again, kind of full disclosure, I've done two transactional seats so far. So my first seat was real estate, which is very transactional and global markets right now, which is even more transactional. So I only have a transactional perspective and I'm sure that advisory seats um, are going to be very different. Um, But from my perspective, um, the team, it's not just the team size, but the culture is very different. The people kind of see things very differently. Um, The work is obviously of a very different nature and the pace is very different as well. So let me kind of go into each of them. Um, The first in relation to the team, um, I would say that because in real estate, I was in specifically construction. So we dealt with a lot of contracts. So a lot of things that had lots of different clauses to them. Um, They could be very uh, similarly structured, but there are very small minor details between contracts that you've got to be really aware of. Um, You've got to be really aware of where things are. You need to understand the contract kind of um, where where a certain clause is and how it interacts with another clause. It's just very technical. Construction was a very technical seat in that way. So, you know, it was understandable that there were members of the team who wanted things to be done in a very particular way. Um, Whereas in in my current team um, in finance, it's very sort of, obviously you've got to get everything right and that that's true but things aren't necessarily as rigid there are multiple ways to get to the same conclusion um and this is just the culture of the team the team are kind of a little bit less um things need to be done in a certain way and neither is correct neither is wrong um it's just going back to my initial point you've got to be very adaptable you've got to be very able to communicate with both styles of lawyers um, because you will the reality is that you will come into contact and you will have to work with lawyers of both extremes when when you actually become an NQ. In terms of the work itself um, it's very different Um, the work that I do at the moment in my market seat is kind of quite um, highly, highly transactional and therefore to a certain extent quite repetitive, um, which actually challenges my attention to detail because when everything looks the same, you need to discern what doesn't look the same. And actually some, sometimes they could be very small minor points. Whereas the previous team, um, the work was um, sort of 
a lot more project focused. It was about building a building. It was about actually creating something that you can see down the road, um, which is something that kind of took years. Whereas in my current team, the deals kind of go through literally like they whiz past you within a week, if that. Sometimes they, they take two days to complete and that that's kind of done and dusted. Um, which brings me on to the sec- my third point, which is pace. In my currency, I could literally go for a cup of tea, I could go for a quick lunch break and I could come back and things would have completely changed. I would have received about 20 emails on the same deal and I would have been like, whoa, like what just happened? So you've got to be really on it. Whereas for real estate, not that you don't have to be on it, of course, but things kind of move a little bit more slowly. You can kind of predict a lot more things. um, And as a result, the work-life balance is probably a little bit better in real estate just because it's very easy to know, it's very easy to predict what's coming next. Um, But equally in my currency, because things kind of are up in the air so much of the time, you've got to be really adaptable. Um, You've got to have really really good project management skills to kind of keep track of where everything is um and also because in this team even though we're very big um we need i i'm expected to talk directly to the client a lot of the time and sometimes i'm left to my own devices and i have to handle it on my own um i regularly have to talk to like regulators and like luxembourg listing agents and kind of really kind of big and important people like that um and you're just expected to do it on your own. Whereas with real estate, um, it was a very different experience. So, sorry, after, after all of that, um, what I do mean to say is that even if Ashurst or even if a certain firm has given you a certain impression, um, you really have to be stuck within a certain department to get a feel for it. And I think that off the back of that, if you've um, done a certain VAC scheme and um, you perhaps haven't enjoyed it so much um it might it doesn't necessarily mean that the firm is not right for you sometimes um it could just be that that particular team within that firm was not right for you um and that's the first point the second point is if you did a vac scheme in a certain area and you didn't like that area it might also just be because you didn't like that team particularly it didn't click um doesn't mean that you should write off that particular area um, as a possible area you want to do in your TC or even want to qualify into. Well, that's um, that's some you know great insight into both of those seats that you've been in. I must say they both sound really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I really like the sound of the real estate seat, like analysing um, contracts that could be completely different but look very much the same. Mm-hmm. That sounds very interesting. Mm-hmm. And the market seat with the fast-paced. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, coming back from a cup of tea and seeing twenty emails probably isn't the kind of fast pace I like. But it, I guess it keeps it exciting. Yeah, it is very exciting. I guess no going out for Monday drinks when you're in the market. Seat, well, it depends. When it's when it's quiet, it's very quiet. But it's very up and down. Whereas real estate is very steady. Um, but I guess that sort of insight—it's something that you really—that's what TC is for, really. Um, uh, and I'm sure that the people may have different experiences even in the same areas real estate and markets in a different firm so it all really depends on your personal experience absolutely so what seat have you enjoyed the most or which seat are you most looking forward to and why I can't possibly say which seat I've enjoyed more just because (laughs) I don't know who's listening to this um and I 
definitely will say that though I've been in very transaction heavy seats so far um which is funny because I've been in a lot of mooting competitions I spent four years mooting um during university so I am very much attracted to the advisory side I'm very much attracted to the research um coming up with arguments um and coming up with an opinion uh so that's not something that I've really had the chance to do yet um and I very much look forward to to litigation um in particular for that reason and hopefully some other advisory seats so for example competition or tax that's very interesting i think that um a lot of law students may think that mooting is just for pay for people um thinking about a career bar but solicitors it would be great for them to, uh, to take part in as well yeah absolutely i would say that actually i i the mooting that i did was not sort of traditional court mooting it wasn't like um or mooting in a mock supreme court and saying you know uh, your your ladyship or whatever it wasn't that kind of very traditional mooting i did um commercial arbitration so i did international commercial arbitration the vis moot if anyone is interested um that is a very different skill set um i got flown to vienna and hong kong um to do competitions which was very fun and it was an extremely commercial problem it was obviously there's some technical legal aspects to it as well but it was very it really stood me in good stead when it comes to applying for training contract applications because it gave me a lot of commercial acumen um and it gave me a lot of sort of um communication skills which i think traditional mooting uh could be a little bit lacking on to a certain extent that's so interesting to know um really interesting we have to catch up about that a bit later on yeah absolutely um, so the next question i have is well i think that the majority would agree that uh, greater diversity is needed in law firms and we're seeing more schemes that are trying to achieve this so why did you personally decide to take action and set up strive so um I was actually part of another scheme um which was very brilliant it was absolutely wonderful very helpful um with my now co-founder Sana Sana Shafi um and whilst this, the scheme was brilliant and they taught us a lot of skills that I really could apply in in my training contract applications I couldn't help but wonder when I looked around the room you know there were lots of people who were actually already selective people so people who were very um sort of from a particular kind of university there's nothing wrong with that at all because i mean it, that that's so diversity in a certain way you know in a in a certain strand of diversity but um i couldn't help but wonder whether there were other people who actually needed the help who had been denied the help because um these schemes were so exclusive and they were so selective so sana and i just kind of thought about um whether we wanted to create a scheme um of our own that um kind of focus more on potential um kind of looked at people who may not look the best on paper and therefore may be not considered a suitable candidate by other schemes out there but actually we could see that they've got the soft skills or at least we can see that they're trying to get those soft skills they are they've got potential they've got the passion they've got the motivation but because on paper they didn't look so great um but but we can kind of pick up on those nuances and we can pick up on those potential um which is why we insist on interviewing most of our candidates at least giving them a 45 minute to 1 hour um interview session um for the hundreds of applicants that we get every year we commit to that because we understand that 
sometimes a candidate could have the most brilliant potential but they don't they haven't been given the skills to express that on paper and that shouldn't be held against them wow that's incredible uh, so thank you strive has two groundbreaking programs spark and supernova what can you tell us about them and who are eligible candidates so shameless plug, um, we have just opened our applications actually today. I don't know when this is coming out, but today meaning the 6th of June. Um, so if you're interested, please go onto our <laughs> LinkedIn and our website to check them out. But very briefly, Spark and Supernova, they cover pretty much the same ground. So they're going to provide you with that. There are kind of two, two sections to it. The first being um, kind of giving you webinars and lectures on sort of the groundwork. So how to write a good application, the, the theory behind a good application, the theory behind um, good interview skills, the theory behind good commercial awareness, the theory behind assessment centers and stuff like that. Once we've given you the theory, the second part then becomes you interacting one-on-one -on -one with your mentors, um, which then kind of helps you implement that theory into practice. So all of those elements are going to be provided across Spark and Supernova. The only difference is that Spark is targeted towards first years um, so people who are looking for open days whereas supernova is kind of for people who are looking for vac schemes and tcs that does not necessarily mean that if you're you've graduated you're not eligible if anything we've got people who are like you know not 12 sorry 21 um 25 even 30 even older than 30 so we're not we're not selective in terms of age we think if you've got the potential it doesn't matter what age you are if you're looking for a vaccine or a tc if you are um older it doesn't matter we'll still put you onto supernova um in terms of the eligible candidates i mean that the full kind of list is on on the website but a very a very general guideline would be that we're really just looking for people with potential people who hasn't necessarily got the skills to show that potential yet um for, for example if they were going to a non-russell group university and their career services aren't necessarily the most um you know they don't necessarily have the most resources to help these students and therefore they don't have the requisite skills to write a good cv or write a good application or know which firms to apply to um, but people who do have potential because they've um really uh kind of from a, been from a background that struggled that's made them struggle um an unprivileged background which leads me on to my second point which is that we um expect uh, all of our students on spark or supernova to have at least two strands of diversity and our strands of diversity are very sort of social mobility related so we're talking mostly about um, have you been eligible for free school meals? Have you been uh, part of a non-selective state school? Were you part of like foster care? That sort of thing. Uh, we we obviously care deeply about other strands of diversity, such as religion and BAME and that kind of thing. But because we understand that there are other organisations out there already doing this, um, our focus is not so much on those strands, but more on the social mobility side. That's fantastic. Sounds like Strive are really making waves. Um, what we will do is we will post. Did you say the applications are on LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah. If you just follow us on LinkedIn, you'll you'll get all the links and access to the application form and things. That's wonderful. We put a link to that in our show notes of this podcast as well, so listeners will be able to um, will be able to find you through there as well. Lovely. 
Um, so have you noticed a common trend in Strive associates needing support with a particular area of their journey? For example, CV writing or interview prep? So uh, the, the short answer is no, because we the reason why we provide people with so much theory is because we think that um, different people need different things. Um, and the, the reality is that a lot of students struggle across different areas. So some people could come to us feeling very confident in interviews, but actually they can't write a good application, so they never even get to interview stage. Whereas some of them can write a brilliant applications, but a brilliant ap- application, but once they get to interview stage, they get really nervous. They don't know how to talk to a partner. Um, they they just really tremble at the thought of doing a case study, that sort of thing. So different people need different things, which is why we've kind of got the first element of the program which is theory but also more importantly the second element which is the one-on-one mentor support that really kind of bring those those theories that we've taught you to life and really apply them to your circumstances and we're working with your strengths and your weaknesses so but but kind of to answer that question taking a step back I would say yes there is a common theme actually which is Um, confidence and self-esteem and self-belief so a lot of people who are uh, like I mentioned we're we're particularly focused on social mobility people from a certain social mobility background tend to doubt themselves a lot actually they tend to come to us and say actually we think that they're a brilliant candidate and if we didn't think they were a brilliant candidate we wouldn't have put them on the scheme but they can't keep coming back to us and saying like well look I, I just don't think I can do it maybe this is not right for me and um one of the most memorable mentees, who is now a very good friend of mine, um, she was she had a very tearful call with me. It lasted about an hour. I remember I was shivering and very cold in Waterloo Station, but I knew that I had to take the call um, because she was she was very tearful and she said, "Look, I wanted to be a trainee for forever, and I've struggled for three to four years. I've been applying years upon years, and I've just got to nowhere, and I just don't think that this is right for me. Maybe I should just give up." And I think that. Strive, yes, we're there to give you the technical support. We're giving you, giving you the techniques, the tricks, the tips, sure. But we're also there to be your emotional cheerleader when you need it. And sometimes a lot of people, like I said, from a certain social mobility background, sometimes all they need is for someone to contradict them when they're about to give up. Um, and this uh, this lady, this girl that I was, I was talking about just now, um, all she needed was me to spend an hour on the phone with her and say, just please give it, give this one more go. I promise if you, if this doesn't work out fine, but don't give up now, just one more go. Um, and she, she managed to get an assessment center with a silver circle law firm. And she then freaked out. And I said, just give it one more go. I promise this will be the last go. Um, and she, she's now got a training contract at that, at that firm. And sometimes I really just think that it's as much about, the cheerleading, uh, which is important, um, as well as the actual techniques, and I think that I think that Strive is quite a nice blend of the two. Um, we've got it's not just kind of a training masterclass; it's actually a community of people who are really supporting each other through these hard times. That's fantastic. Honestly, it makes me so happy to know that there are fantastic people out there that are giving so much encouragement and to and support to people that you know, really do have the ability to do it, but just need that extra little bit of help. So I just want to say thank you. That's, it's so great. No, no, absolutely. For somebody that's obviously got a very busy um, 
you know, career, for, for you to take, you know, time out and, and set these kind of, this organisation and seem to be charity, which is amazing, up um, to help people is, is actually, you know, takes, takes my breath away. I mean, I am, I'm so, I'm privileged, I'm honoured to be in a position where people are trusting them, uh, trusting their training contract journeys with me. That That's a huge trust, I think. And I, I don't think that I would take that ever for granted. And I think that I'm so passionate about offering that emotional support because I know that when I was back in, back in the day when I was, I mean, I come from an unprivileged sort of social mobility background myself. And, and there were very key turning points in my life that, I just needed that one person to cheer me on and they did cheer me on and they did give me those resources at those crucial turning points that did change my life. And I, I, that's why I hugely believe, believe that um, people just need to be surrounded by the right people at a crucial turning point in their lives, which, you know, applying to training contracts is, is one of those tra- turning points. Mm, I agree. So due to COVID-19, many pupillages and vacation schemes have been postponed or cancelled. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to students that aren't yet part of um, an innovative scheme like Strive who want to gain some experience during the summer break? Mm-hmm. So um, obviously this is a very challenging situation um, and I will be the first to say, given or I've, I've been kind of liaising with different HR teams um, at different points. And I think that, and we've got a spill the tea series again, shameless plug um, <laughs> with strive. Um, and that that's an Insta live series trying to um, understand the different firms approaches during COVID-19. How are their back schemes going to be structured? How, how are virtual um, metrics going to come in? Like how, how, how does it work? So you know and the consensus that i think we're getting actually is that even the firms don't know what what the, what the heck is going on um everyone's so new to this including the firms themselves so actually i think that this is very challenging but i also am the sort of person who believes that from from challenges come a lot of opportunity so if you can use this time to really um distinguish yourself you're actually in such a better position than a lot of people who've been sitting on their hands, um, which I promise you a lot of people will be because they're just like, oh, well, what do I do now? Um, And if you're able to use this time well, you're actually standing out um, a lot better. So given that, I would say two things. First of all, I have heard about firms that are offering virtual internships through, I think, a company called Inside Sherpa. I'm sure there are other providers too, but I think that Inside Sherpa is off the top of my head what, what I can remember. Um, and some of the firms that offer these virtual internships, um, again, off the top of my head, I'm sure there are more, is Linklaters and Pinsent Masons. Um, so worth a look into those. And those are quite interesting as well because they're not like a VAC scheme. They're not like a training contract. You don't have to apply for them. You can just register for them and you can just do it at your own pace. So obviously they're much less competitive and probably worth a little bit less um, than a VAC scheme, a traditional VAC scheme. But nonetheless, you're still showing um, that you're still interested. You're keeping up with your commitment to law. You're keeping up with your commitment specifically to commercial law. And there will be stuff that you learn from those virtual experiences that you absolutely need to jot down on a notebook so that when you're actually writing your applications, you'll be able to kind of pull out specific examples that you've learned from those virtual experiences. And the second thing I will say is that kind of try to branch out a little bit from law as well. Obviously, there's the obvious question of, oh, but does that 
does that mean that the law firm's going to feel that I'm not committed to law? Well, um, if you can maybe get some experiences in business development, like I like I've said earlier on, um, there are lots of transfer transferable skills that you can take from there. Um, and business development is not exclusive. Sorry, it's not mutually exclusive with law. Um, you can bring across a lot of business acumen um, that you learn from that experience into law. So I think that it's actually going to really elevate you and really distinguish you if you're able to not have just done some legal work experience but also some business development experience as well um, and the reason I specifically say business development is because there are plenty of I think work from home internships this is not a COVID thing I think that BD has traditionally especially tech and BD have been very good at um, doing work from home or remote internships and remote working from way beyond before COVID so there will be much more opportunities there than than law because law is just starting to figure out ways to cope cope with COVID. Well thank you that's really fantastic advice um, I might just add in there as well, if, if anybody was interested in um, experiencing a little bit of tech, I know that there are some um, online courses um, for for coding. I think one is called Girls Code First, which runs an eight-week course in the evenings. So that could be a good one if anybody is yeah. in tech. Absolutely. Well, if you're if you're a woman um, and you're interested in in coding, then yeah, Code First Girls is really good. I was part of the Python program, which was very good. Um, I think that uh, Steph, you're going to be on the web development program, which is also fantastic. Um, there are plenty of other online resources as well. So you know, Code Academy. Um, that there, there are online boot camps as well. So one I can name is Codiri, for example. There are just so many things out there, and um, I mean. I, I, I can, this can be a whole other podcast. I, I mean, I worked in tech recruitment, so I kind of, I'm really passionate about that space as well, diversity within, within STEM. Um, but there, there's so many resources out there and so many opportunities out there that, you know, even if you don't end Thanks up in to tech, all the listeners, uh, as you all know nowadays, um, don't forget to share this episode with anyone who might find it useful. Who, um, also kind follow of us on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts and leave us a tech comment ties into or review. And they actually don't prefer someone who's only done a law degree and knows nothing but law. So, even if you don't intend on becoming a programmer in the future, it's good for you to maybe just upskill yourself and just take an eight-week course in coding and just um, be able to say that actually I that gives me a leg into a, a foot through the door um, in terms of exploring what legal tech means to, to my future career. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today, Tilly. You have certainly given our um well you've certainly given some great advice to our listeners absolutely my pleasure and um i'm so i'm so honored to to be here and be spending this time with you well it was great having you here i wish we could go on for longer um but um i will let you go because i'm sure you've got millions of other things to do and thank you to everyone that has downloaded this episode of the student lawyer podcast thank you for tuning in have a great day everyone Bye-bye. Thank you. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, 
please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today. Thank you.